guys, and welcome back to another episode of the ADH Dads. I'm your host, CJ. And I'm JJ. And we had such a great time talking to Alex Lee the other episode that uh, we wanted to do it again with uh, another dad. So uh, we've got Richard Ziegler here. Did I say that right, brother? Close enough. No, dang it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll let you do the introductions, brother. Tell us about yourself. Um, Well, my name is Richard Ziegler. I'm 38. I'll be 39 December of this year. Got 10 kids, one more on the way. Seven grandkids. and Who better, yeah. So, yeah, blended family. So, Is it uh, from one previous marriage or, or, or multiple? Yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah, awesome. I have, uh, I have six kids from a previous marriage. Five girls, one boy. The boy was the youngest. He's 18 now. He's in college. Uh, he's still living with us because he's going to college right down the road. All right. Uh, and then... My wife, she was, we were both in relationships for about 20 years and she had three girls and her oldest is one week older than my youngest. And so she's in college now as well. And then a little over a year ago, we had another little girl, which made 10 total, nine girls, one boy. And then she is almost five months pregnant with her first boy. All right. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Nine women. That's a lot of estrogen, brother. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I've got three and a dog, and it's a lot, man, (laughs) in my house. (laughs) That's awesome, man. So 18 is your oldest, and and you got another one on the way. That's your youngest. No, actually, um, her, my new wife's oldest before we got together was 18. So hers right right now ranges from 18 to 14, not counting the one-year-old. And then mine ranged from 28 to 18, not counting the one-year-old. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so you had kids pretty young. What, what was that journey like? Well, um, when I was 16, I got with someone who already had kids and uh, been raising my two 28-year-olds since they were five. They're twins. And uh, just all the other ones were younger. So I became a dad at 16 years old. Wow. And... Uh, Adopted all of them, and you know, I didn't illegally adopt all of them because some of them were. By the time I we got around to the adoption thing, they were already in their adulthood. So uh, we had one biological kid to get. You know, I had one biological kid with her, and now it happened to be a boy. And then, you know, twenty years, you know, eighteen years later, we now sixteen years later, we split up. So, uh-huh. and then now I got in a new relationship, and she had kids, and we she wanted more kids, and she actually had her tubes tied. And so we paid for the surgery to get her tubes untied, and uh, we had a kid, and now we're having another one. Wow. What does Thanksgiving look like at your house? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's big. How um, many turkeys do you buy? <laughs> uh, normally just one. Just one. Uh, just one turkey and one ham. We usually do turkey and ham. But um, there for a long time before we all kind of got dispersed a little bit. Like I said, I got older ones that have kids, some in college that are, you know, a few hours away, some in college close by, others have their own families further away. When we were all closer together, we would do dinner every Sunday. And so when we did that, there was usually, depending on who could make it, who couldn't make it with boyfriends, husbands, kids, there was usually about 20 to 24 of us there every Sunday. Yeah. And yeah, so I- now it's, we don't do it so much, but. 
Yeah, I come from a big Italian family, so when we get together, it's at least 25, you know. It's it's a lot of food, and everyone's got to bring something because uh, one person can't pay for all that food. So, yeah, I love that the big family experience. Uh, you know, I grew up an only child wanting siblings so bad, and now that I have three kids of my own, I'm not so sure that I would have wanted that as a, as a kid. But, uh, you know, I, I always felt that I wanted to be a part of a big family. And when coming into this marriage as a stepdad to three kids that aren't my bio kids uh, may have been intimidating to most, but I, I really jumped at that opportunity because I just wanted to be a part of that big family dynamic from my experience on the Italian side with all my cousins and aunts and uncles. So that's really rad, man. That sounds like there's a lot of love in your home. Oh yeah. Well, Cause like with me, I jumped in, there was, four kids already. And when I get with my ex, I found out after we'd been together for like a month or so that she was, you know, a few months pregnant and just now realizing it. And, uh, that kid's biological dad didn't want anything to do with her. So immediately when she was born, I just gave her my name and took her as my own. And, you know, she's been that way ever since. And then the rest of them, a few of them have my name now since they were, you know, adopted. The other ones, you know, they still call me dad and uh, they've never called me by my name. They don't call me stepdad. They just call me dad. And, uh, you know, with my family, the, the whole adoption thing or taking on kids of, from somebody else has been a thing because my, uh, my dad has an adopted daughter. So I have a you know, adopted sister. I got an older sister, two older brothers, or two younger brothers, not older brothers, sorry. But I say, I said older because they're both bigger than me. You know, I'm, Five ten, and they're both six one, six two, and they're younger than me, which is crazy. But so yeah, it's always been a big family. Our family unions are usually like hundred some people there. Brother, I am amazed, and I have questions regarding your family dynamic, and uh, you know, being sixteen and essentially taking on this possible idea of fatherhood. Uh, what did that look like back then? How did you how did you answer that calling? Mm, well, <clears throat> to be honest, I uh, I didn't realize it until later on in life. But when I got married the first time, I didn't get married because I wanted to get married. I got married because I fell in love with the kids, and I joined the military, and I was moving away, and the only way they could go was if I was married. So that's why I got married. But they did. Their biological dad was in prison. He still is, actually. And uh, they didn't have anybody. So, you know, my I knew the same feeling. My dad was in prison for the first seven years of my life. So, you know, I grew up with a stepdad. You know, he was a great guy. He had his own mistakes and everything else, but he wasn't, you know, abusive or anything like that. But I learned a lot from him. And then once my dad got out of prison, I learned a lot from him as well. And uh, there were some things about my dad when I was younger that – you know, upset me and shaped who I was. And I knew there were some things that I didn't, you know, want to do as a dad, but then everybody tells me I'm just like him and we look almost identical, but, uh, we're a lot alike in a lot of ways, which I'm proud of. And the person he is now, we're a lot alike in that regard too. So as he grew up and changed, I'm like, you know, I want to be the same type of person and I want to be there every chance I can and what I can now being 16, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but you know, I tried, did the best I could with what I had. And as I got older and grew up and 
started meeting up with other dads and seeing how there were things that I was doing that I could probably do better. That's when things really started happening. So it was probably about eight, eight years ago. Eight years ago, I really started um, focusing on being a better dad. So you is that kind of when you shifted maybe your perspective on your dad or was that was that earlier or how did you kind of reconcile the resentment that you had as a young kid into where you're at now and how you view him and and your similarities with my dad my dad was about respect but when he didn't get it if i was being a smart mouth or not listening or whatever when he didn't get the respect it in today's age, it'd be considered abuse, but, you know, get smacked in the mouth, get your butt whooped, whatever. But um, there's a couple times he, he took it a little too far. It wasn't anything like punching or anything like that. It was just he hit hard. And uh, But it wasn't until my older, younger brother was born and he was older, he really started to mellow out and started to, you know, do things different, you know, as a dad. And started to be a little more uh, present, a little more calm, a little more understanding. And that was 24 years ago. So, but when he, you know, I was in my teenage years then, and I was getting ready to move out. So it was a little late then, but the relationship we've built since I've been an adult, especially after I started having kids and, you know, he started having grandkids, then uh, we really started to, click and change and you got a real good relationship is your stepdad still in your life too is mom and stepdad still together or do you uh, talk to him i don't talk to him very often um just because i i really don't talk to my mother very often my mom and me we didn't we didn't have the best relationship we still don't mm. uh there for a long time we didn't talk for years like we didn't talk at all um you know we've we've had the conversation since as I've gotten older about growing up, she always picked her, her, the men in her life over her kids. You know, that's the way I felt growing up and I never really seen anything different. And I used to literally live 15 minutes from her because I grew up at Lake of the Ozarks for a little while for the first seven, eight years of my life. And then I went with my dad and then I didn't see my mom for a long time. But, uh, and then she moved down. She was 15 minutes away. She literally drove into the same town 30 seconds away from my house to pay her mortgage payment every month. Never stopped by, never called, nothing. So me and her, we didn't have the best relationship. Our relationship's okay, but we don't have a close relationship. And she's back with my, you know, my stepdad. They they split up, got divorced. She went through a myriad of boyfriends and then got remarried again. And uh, then he passed away. And then she got back with, you know, my stepdad and, she lives back down the way the Ozarks with him. And I just, we don't see each other very often. We don't talk very often. Birthdays, holidays, it's a quick text message or something like that. And that's about it. Yeah, I can relate to that, brother. Um, yeah, I, I have a stepdad that I don't talk about very much either uh, that was in my life for uh, a number of years. Um, my mom kind of had the same pattern when I was a kid of toxic men in and out of our lives. And they're always seem to be abuse, either physical or emotional uh, or alcoholism and uh, a slew of dishonesty from all of these guys. You know, um, my, my stepdad and, and her marriage ended because, you know, he was 
lying about being a narcotics office, undercover narcotics officer for Massachusetts PD. And really, he had a whole other family on the side that he was going to every weekend, you know. So uh, and I just have a lot of memories of, uh, you know, my mom driving up to boyfriends houses and, and telling me to wait in the car. And I'd be there for what felt like an hour, you know, as a little kid. And my mom would come, you know, crying and, and screaming and throwing things out of the house and be in tears. And we'd go and drive away and never see that guy again, you know. And uh, those those memories stick out a lot. But, you know, my mom and I have, have had a lot of the, the conversations uh, um, revolving around, you know, how that affected me. And I, I think I went through a lot of resentment and existential crisis when I was in my 20s. Uh, about that same kind of feeling. Why did my mom always choose these toxic men over me, you know, or what felt like, but, um, you know, one thing I do really value about my mother and I's relationship is that she's willing to have those conversations, um, where, you know, maybe the masculine energy comes from a generation in my family where they're not really willing to, to talk about some of those stuff in the pasts, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, I, I can definitely relate to that. And, um, uh, in your journey there, brother. Um, but how, how do you think that that has kind of, you know, affected you and your fatherhood journey and, and how you parent? Well, I've always heard the expression, you know, it's mainly towards, you know, females, but it was females tend to, you know, give us someone who's a lot like their dad. And so if they have a toxic dad, they end up with toxic people. Well, it works both ways. So, you know, I ended up with someone who was kind of like my mother. She was, she, it wasn't that she was choosing me over them. It's just, if you talk to the, I've had conversations with the girls, the older ones and stuff. And, you know, they feel like they weren't loved by their mom. She was always more about her, you know. Now, we have a decent relationship now. You know, we're divorced. She's with somebody. I'm, you know, with somebody. I have kids again. and um, But she still has her issues. I still have my issues as well. But, um, but that affected, I never really understood what motherhood was. You know, and I know we're talking about, you know, ADH dads and being dads in general, but I never really understood what motherhood looked like, what it should be, what would be considered healthy. Um, my my dad's relationship with my stepmom, who was a lot younger than him, she wasn't, she was only five years older than me. You know, it was, was into my teenage years, he got with someone who was a lot younger. There's a 13-year age gap between the two of them. I think 13, might be 14. But uh, but their relationship wasn't all that great. You know, he was still young and, you know, immature for his age and stuff like that. And so I never knew what it was supposed to look like. So when I got in a relationship and I seen the way that she interacted with the kids and me and stuff like that, I just thought it was normal. And it wasn't until I got with my new wife, who's, who her name is Jennifer. I see her with the kids and I see the way her mom is with her kids. And it's like, wow, it's totally different. I see what it's supposed to be like. And then I'm like, you know what? It pushes me to be better as a dad to kind of match the energy of what I see from her as a mom. So, but yeah, I think uh, my mom and my relationship, yeah, it had a big impact on my choices and what I did when I got with my ex and and 
how I let that relationship just, it was toxic for a long time. And we should have, we've, we've had the conversation. We should have got divorced years and years before, but we just never did. We always said, you know, we'll, we'll stay together for the kids. Well, come to find out that's not the best ideal. So even my kids will be like, you guys should have got divorced years ago. You know, you didn't mm. do us any favors. Yeah. I find that interesting. Cause Sorry to talk over you, JJ. I saw you come off mute. I wasn't sure if you were still here because you're still frozen on my screen, or you're <laughs> you're very slow. So I didn't hey, know fellas. if your audio was going to work either. So. someday, someday the internet gods will no longer be having arguments when we're trying to connect. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I was curious. You know, was this new relationship the point for you where you said, you know, I want to go get coaching, or I want to go get an understanding or, or resources on how to do this better? You know, was it the, your new wife or was there another point in your life where you decided that, you know, you wanted to make a change to kind of heal some of that generational stuff that you saw going on? Well, it was actually about eight, eight, eight or nine years ago, me and my ex were discussing divorce and I actually found myself not upset about it. And that's when I, Decided, I, you know what, I need to make a change. I, I got some advice from a friend, and he told me, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. The only person you can control is you. And if you can't make it work, you know, make yourself better for the next one. And I took that advice to heart. And so I started listening to some podcasts uh, and then joined a few groups and really started to change there. But it didn't. It affected my previous marriage for a little while, but it was just so far gone. There was just so much bad blood and toxic energy from years past that it just wasn't enough. And so it ended up, you know, dissolving. And But when I talked to my new wife and stuff, she, she loves the amount of uh, effort that I put in just to be better. You know, the way she, I've heard her talk to me and the way I've heard her talk to about me to other people, she puts me on a pedestal and acts like I'm perfect, which I tell her all the time I'm not. I'm, as long as I do better t tomorrow than I was today, I'm happy. So That's a woman in love, brother, a woman that, that sees you for you. So that, that's awesome. I, I love to hear that. You know, and, and I just want to touch on something you said earlier, too, about, you know, uh, um you know, making it work for the kids, you know, because when I uh, divorced my, my ex-wife after nine years, we, we didn't have kids. And I often said throughout that divorce process, you know, God, if we had kids, I probably would have stuck around and, you know, and, and uh, made it work. Um, and, you know, that's not always the healthiest case, like you say. And there's a lot of families where even the kids see the, the toxic uh, energy you know, that's in the household, even if we can't as the parents or adults. So, you know, um, I appreciate that you, you kind of relieved me a little bit of some of my shame and guilt and, and regret, you know, and uh, that, you know, it's not, that isn't always the best course. And sometimes we have to, to take care of ourselves to set the example up rather than trying to mask the toxicity. Well, and if I could build on top of that, guys, I'm really curious about that. You know, you had mentioned that uh, you both kind of identified that this was toxic. And 
I guess the question that some people might be asking is, well, if you identify that as toxic, then why don't you also, as a collective, work toward figuring it out and working it out together? What What are some things that you could, you know, like give to our listeners, you know, examples of why the writing's on the wall as opposed to, yeah, we recognize this is not working and now we can work toward making it work. Well, to be honest, I thought it then and I still think it now and it may sound uh, a little conceited, but it takes both to actually put in the work. So I took the steps that I felt was necessary for me to do better and to be better and show up better for everyone involved. But I felt like she didn't put in nearly the effort. Like I said, when I started changing and making the effort, things got better for a while. Um, she put in some, a little bit of effort and things started getting better. You know, she stopped, you know, her, she got an attitude over all sorts of stuff. The littlest things would set her off and everything else. She didn't control, you know, what she was doing whenever she was mad or upset. You know, one minute she'd get upset, total silence, cold shoulder, nothing. The next minute she'd get upset, total blow up. It was something different all the time. So me, I started to learn more patience because I used to be a hothead. When I was a kid, I was always fighting. I was kicked out of school all the time, always getting in trouble. Whenever I was with my ex and I was younger, I'd get mad. I didn't hit anybody. I didn't punch walls, anything like that. I did something that was just as destructive. I threw things. Now, I never threw anything at anybody, particularly trying to hit anybody or anything like that. Never hit anybody like that. But I would throw things up against the wall, break things that way. Um, so I learned to be more patient. And I think in the process of me learning to be more patient, I was always telling myself, it'll get better. It'll get better. You know, as long as I keep putting in the work, it'll get better. Not realizing that everybody says it's 50 50 in a marriage. Well, no, it's supposed to be 100% from both. So if I'm putting in 100% and somebody else isn't putting in any, it's not going anywhere. You know, there are days with me and my wife where I, you know, I only put in 80%. She can put in 20, you know, pick up that extra 20. Or she's only given 70%. I'll pick up the extra 30. With my previous relationship, it wasn't like that. If I could only give 70% one day, she would only give 10%. You know, or she'd be like, okay, well, you're only doing 70, so I'm only going to do 30. Not, I'm not going to do the 100 plus the 30. I'm only going to do the 30 and make it 100%. And so over time, she just stopped caring. And to be honest, she's the one who left. If she wouldn't have left, we'd probably still be together and I'd still be trying to make it work. You know, thinking that you can make yourself the right person for the wrong person, it's not going to work. You know, you do. For me, I learned that I control what I can. I work on my patience and I do the best version of I can. And anybody else who gravitates towards that is supposed to be there. So what do conversations with your wife look like now that you feel set you up into that better kind of uh, reciprocal give and take? Well, see, that's also difficult, too. Um, her relationship is very toxic. Yeah, I think it was worse than mine. 
And so when she gets upset about something, she clams up. And it's very hard for her to express how she feels about something because in her previous relationship, every time she tried to express anything, it was always turned into her nagging, complaining, just being, you know, whatever. And so she doesn't, she didn't like to open up. I've gotten her to open up some, not to where, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but it's better than what it was and it gets better all the time. So for our conversations, you know, we'll talk about things that we've, we haven't really had any, like, we have disagreements and there's been times where voices were raised, not like yelling at each other, but like there's times to where, you know, she'll, she'll say something to me and I take it as her being ignorant and I'll be like, I don't need, you know, I don't deserve the attitude. I don't need the attitude. And then there's times where she'll be like, you know, I wasn't trying to have an attitude. And there's other times I didn't have an attitude. It just all depends on the mood, you know. Everybody's different. But we recognize when, you know, we're in that mood. If some of us have, we're having a bad day for some reason or upset about something, there's times where it goes a little longer than expected, you know, the just the attitude in general. But it doesn't take long for us to realize, hey, you know, the attitude's not needed. There's no need to raise voices. We can have a conversation about it and we can talk about it. And with everything that I've done through the groups that I've been in, you know, the programs that I've went through and stuff like that, you know, I had a program where I had to get on, you know, a call every night at seven o'clock, you know, every Monday at seven o'clock. I'd go into the other room, get on there. And first thing she'd ask me, you know, how was your call tonight? And then I would take exercises from those calls and everybody in the house would do them. And to be honest, they all did them pretty well and they didn't mind doing them. And, you know, we've had conversations about it. It's just, it's like I said, with, with the kids now, her kids from the previous relationship and then her with that relationship, they're all learning different things from me, but I'm learning things from them as well. And so we can have conversations like I said, but everybody has their moments it's inevitable. You can't go through life not having a disagreement, you know, even with the closest people you're to. So we just learn to recognize when those times are. And if we don't settle it right then and there and, and cool it down, we usually just stop the conversation. We'll come back to it later, apologize for any bad reactions. So that's basically how we do it. Mm. Yeah. For me, what that sounds a little bit like is, is validation and understanding in the moment. And then you mentioned something um, a little bit ago about, uh, you know, learning something from your kids, which to me, again, sounds like that piece of validation. Do you have an example of that? I think a lot of people get in this mindset of, well, I'm the parent, I'm the teacher. So what do you learn from your kids that is of great value that we, I think anybody would love to hear? To be honest, one of the things that I learned from my kids isn't something that they do that I would learn to do. It's just in the knowledge of the things that I've learned over the years. It's to listen. You know, a lot of times it's, well, I'm the parent. I say do this. This is whatever. Well, no one ever explains to their kids why they do things, why they have to do certain things. You know, what, why my decision is what it is. Most people don't ever explain it to their kids at all. They feel they don't, they don't have to explain themselves to their kids. Well, I've learned that if I explain things to my kids, 
in a way that they understand it without being demeaning, I get further. You know, this is the ADHD Dads podcast. I have a kid that is from my wife's previous relationship. She's 14. I've been around since she was 11. And I was told that when she was younger, she would, when she got upset, she would pull her hair or slap herself and stuff like that. And I hadn't seen it yet. I'd been around for probably six months or so, and I hadn't seen it yet. And then one day she got upset because her and her mom got into it, and she started to do it. I just walked up to her, wrapped my arms around her, gave her up, told her it was going to be okay. I've yet to see her do it again since. And so just taking the time to be present and listen to what they say. Not perfect at it. Don't do it all the time like I should. But I try. So... Man, you know, these are skills that we need to learn, brother. Like, you know, no one teaches us these interpersonal relationship skills and and how to talk to one another or our kids or our spouses. And it's such a shame because, you know, we it's probably the most important skill to help get us through life. And no one teaches us these things. We all rely on our parents to do so. And uh Sometimes they're not the best teachers and haven't been taught that either, you know, and if we could, I, I don't know what it is about my journey either, but I was, I was a hothead and I was very opinionated and, you know, couldn't wait for people to stop talking so that I could, I could exert my opinion over there. And through, you know, all of my therapy and, and coaching and stuff, I've really learned that listening aspect that you're talking about and that patience to create space to hear other people's stories. And it's just been like such a turnaround in my life to just create that space for people, you know, and I don't know why I never had the, the patience with people or adults in my life before kids, because it was really my experience with kids that taught me that too, because it was like, well, they, they don't know better. I, 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 you know, I don't want to yell at them. I don't want to traumatize them. I know what that feels like. I've got my own trauma as a kid of being told to, you know, yell that or, or you know, don't feel that or, or shut up and don't cry, be a man and suck it up, buttercup, all that stuff, you know, and I don't want to put that on these on a kid. And when I finally realized, like, why am I doing this great with kids, but not adults, you know, and then like, I had this switch of like, well, shit, adults don't know either, right? Like, they're just as clueless as kids. Adults have never had anybody in their life to tell them how to listen actively and have empathy. And, you know, some of us never are open to those ideas. You know, we go through our whole life and especially after something like a trauma of divorce, you know, you say, well, I am who I am. She doesn't like it. Oh, well, and the next one will like me. And we know, we know, we don't do the work to set ourselves up for success in the future because, you know, we we're, we are these people or whatever story that we tell ourselves. So, you know, I, I just want to relate to what you're saying in, in the kids and the patient aspect because it, it was just such a turnaround moment for me and in, in my own experience and in, in dealing with them of like, wow, everybody deserves this, right? We all want to be listened to. We all want to be validated. And we all want to feel like there's that the people that we're communicating with or, or trying to connect with have empathy for, for our lives and our stories. And, you know, we should in turn want, want to give it to them, you know, not, not want, want them to give us something that we can connect to first, you know, and then give that in reciprocal. We just should be open to everybody's experience and, and, and story. 
Yeah, I agree. Because the thing is, is we are, you know, the lessons we learned. But the thing is, is most people don't think that they need to learn anymore once they're they become an adult. They think that once they are who they are, that's who they are. But I learned that I can choose to be who I want to be. You know? And brother, I told myself that story uh, for the nine years in my in my relationship. You know, she would my wife, my ex wife would say, you know, you've got an anger problem. You're you're too loud, or you're you're mean when we argue. And I would just say, well, it, it I am who I am. You know, you can't tell me not to be angry. You know, people humans feel anger. You know, I just am who I am. You know, and and it wasn't until you know. I started learning all of this stuff and, and, and my wife now said, you know, it's, you can feel angry, you know, it's how you express the anger that I have a problem with. And maybe if you can learn a different way of doing that, you can still express the anger and I'll hear you rather than wanting to get defensive. And it was like, Oh wow. Why didn't anybody tell me that fucking 30 years ago, you know, Mm -hmm. but, uh, maybe they did. Maybe I just wasn't, uh, I wasn't able to hear it, you know, until, until that moment in that time. So sometimes people are on their own journey at their own pace, you know, and sometimes those two paces don't mesh together in the case of, you know, your ex-wife and my ex-wife and probably JJ's ex-wife. Yeah, because it's you can hear the same thing a hundred times from a hundred different people, and the one time you actually hear it and understand it is because you want to hear it. You know, touching on what you said earlier about you know listening, wanting wanting them to just be quiet so you can interject. I was the same way. I was always listening to respond. I was always listening to respond. I didn't listen to understand. Once I learned to listen to understand, it totally changed everything. And then when JJ was talking about validation with my ex, I could have a day off of work. I'd spend the entire day cleaning the entire house to get to take the trash out. And it was, why didn't you take the trash out? Nothing else. I could come home and spend the entire day cleaning the entire house now, not take the trash out. My wife will come in, give me a hug and kiss. Thank you for cleaning the house. And then go take the trash out. And then she'll go take the trash out. You know, and it's, I've never been more validated than I am now. You know, even on days where I may not be as patient or I may raise my voice, which is, you ask the kids anywhere around here, that's very seldom. Like, her kids, I think, have heard me raise my voice once in three years. But, uh, you know, they they say the same thing. It's like, I am always have the same attitude. Like Jocko says, it's just straight face. The only time you ever see a reaction out of me really is when I'm happy, when I'm smiling and I'm, you know, laughing. When I'm angry, you don't see it. I, I choose not to show it. You know, like you were saying, I, I chose to understand what I'm, what I'm going through because if I'm mad about something, I'm not mad about that thing 99% of the time. There's an underlining issue there. When I can understand what's got me that way, then I can understand the emotion I'm feeling and then I can express it properly without blowing up and being an asshole. That's an interesting thing to think about, you know, too, is the understanding and the understanding of somebody else. You know, you mentioned uh, the uh, the trash bag, you know, being brought out as one thing that was missed. And then you were charged with the crime of not taking out the trash, whereas you did everything else. And, um, you know, I'll just I'll kind of flip that a little bit and, uh, you know, share 
my own personal story was uh, with with my ex. I was the one to cook, and uh, most of the time, almost all the time, cook the meals and uh, you know provide provide that service to my family. Um, and then at the end of that day, uh, the kitchen sometimes needed to be cleaned up. And there were times where I said, you know what, I play with kiddo, and I am not in the mood to take care of the kitchen tonight. And the next day, next morning would come around and she would be quite upset. She'd be quite upset. She'd be really upset about the idea of it being messy in the kitchen. And she would sometimes just vocalize it like, that's such a mess in here. And she wouldn't like say it directed at me, but you know, it was directed at me. And my, my own, you know, defensiveness uh, just like boiled to the surface. And I was upset because I, of course, was thinking about did this, I did this, I did this act of service. And now I'm being charged with the one thing I didn't do. But I also wanted to remind myself now, unfortunately, after the fact that, well, what is it about a clean kitchen that means a lot to her? What am I missing here? Why am I not asking her the questions? Instead, my my response was unfortunately out of defensiveness and anger. So I didn't I didn't take those steps to try and understand her in those moments. So we never got to a good place because we just continued that cycle. I think that's one thing that I, I like to highlight is, you know, it, no, it's not fair for somebody to come at you for missing something necessarily, or it might hurt. But if we can kind of under, come to understand what it is that's behind the emotion, what they're thinking, then perhaps we can come to some maybe similar alignment as to what to do together. Yeah, I agree. And that's one thing that I've really tried to work on and practice on. Even if it is personal, I tend to try to not take anything personal. So like if one of the, you know, if the kids come home from school and one of them decides to have an attitude for some reason, you know, I tell them, Hey, cause I don't tell my kids what to do. Very, very rarely do I tell them, Hey, go do this. I always ask them, Hey, will you go, you know, Will you go take out the trash? Will you sweep up the living room? Will you go clean your room? You know, most of the time, I'll just ask. And they'll do it most of the time. Sometimes I'll come home and I'll ask them, hey, will you do this? And they'll get an attitude about it. Well, the old me would have taken that personally and been like, you know, I'm being disrespected because I'm asking you to do something and you're getting an attitude with me for no reason. Well, now it's, you know, don't take it personally. They might have had a bad day. You know, yeah, they're taking it out on me. It's not intentional. But don't take it personal and then have a conversation with them. Hey, what's going on? You okay? You know, how was, how was your day? What happened? You know, most of the time, you know, you get the standard, you know, it was okay or whatever. But the girls, the girls especially, you know, they usually open up and tell me about, you know, how their day was. What, what was it about their day that they didn't like or stuff like that? And we have a conversation about it. Brother, I took everything personal in my last relationship. I, I really did. I was the passive aggressive one. You know, I'd let the I'd let the dishes sit there for a week hoping she'd clean it up and then when she wouldn't, I would, you know, stomp around and clank dishes and, you know, probably break something and why you know, and never vocalized my 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 desire of why I wanted a clean kitchen or what it meant to me or my experience or you know, and again growing up with a uh O C D anal retentive stepmother, you know, everything was I mean, there was there was hand towels, dish towels and decorative towels in every room and there was couches that you could and couldn't sit on and 
pillows that you could and could not use and everything was pristine. And, you know, uh, there was some, there's trauma and comfort in that for me, you know, in having my stepmom ride me in that. And then also going out into my college years, living on my own and living in a pigsty and, you know, realizing my own anxiety and depression and how that can add to it. And the clutter of everything, you know, was something that I needed to do for myself and realize, wow, okay, she, she gave me something to help me in a time of comp, either that or created the need for it, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, I just, I, I, I was, I was like that and I took everything personal. And, um, you know, I think it was actually Jocko that said this too. Um, he said, you know, the, the cure to anger is curiosity. And I, when I heard that, I, oh man, it was such a gift in my life, Richard, you know, like, and I just started implying, applying that to, you know, every sort of connection that I could have in my life. Instead of waiting to interject my opinion over there in a conversation, I would think, well, how can I turn this into a question instead, you know, to, to hear more. So I would just like constantly run everything that I wanted to say through that filter. And it just created so much space and connection and intimacy between those that I was talking to with my kids and my family and able to ask those questions rather than take things personally. So that was my secret, uh, super tool, you know, was the curiosity, you know, so, uh, that really helped diffuse my anger and impatience and the self-defense of like taking everything personally. Yeah, it's funny because everybody has their own quirks, their own twitches, whatever they do. The people close to you, sometimes they can look at you and tell when you're angry, tell when you're happy. You can have the straightest face. It doesn't matter. They can tell when you're angry, happy, upset, mad. doesn't matter. They can tell. Uh, my wife now, she can always tell when there's something going on. I have, I have a little anxiety. It's not as bad as it used to be. But she can always tell when I'm anxious about something. Always. And it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, it's about four, five months ago, four or five months ago. I don't remember. I quit my job, started my own business, and she was super anxious about it. And after the first month, she's like, oh, okay, cool. It is what it is. And now she doesn't, you know, she has no anxiety over it anymore. But there are days where I'll come home and I can be anxious about it a little bit because I just got so much going on, so much to do that I feel like I don't have enough time to get it all done. And I'll be anxious about something. She'll be like, what are you anxious about? Nothing. I'm good. You know, and then knowing that that's not the right answer, you know, we'll have conversations about it. And she'll do the same with me. So, but those are lessons that I, unfortunately, had to learn on my own. You know, I mean, I had people to teach me, but they weren't people directly tied to me, you know, like my parents or someone close it wasn't until I went on my self-development journey that I found someone to help me learn that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we were talking earlier about being at the right place or right time or maybe coming from the right source, you know. My dad and I used to get into a lot of arguments about, you know, how I would communicate or vocalize. He would say, you know, you shouldn't say this word or you shouldn't say it that way. And or, you know, you and it's 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 Nate and I, not me and Nate. You know, and he was always, he's always corrected me and it fucking drove me crazy, man. I was just always like, are you listening to me? You know, like, can, are, 
are you even engaged in what I'm saying? Or are you just looking for these moments? You know, and I ruined many a Thanksgiving dinners over this simple argument, Richard, you know, and it wasn't until I got into college and I took a communications class and, you know, started learning about JJ, you have to Google this because I'll probably get it right. Pathos, Eros and Ethos. I think are the three concepts in communication, you know, and it's talking about like knowing the audience that you're talking to, you know, that you can't say something that's going to offend them. You have to know what they like and what they don't like. And the pathos is like the, the passion. You have to care about what you're, you're talking about, right? You can't just give it monotone. You can't, you have to engage and believe in it yourself. And you have to, and the ethos or pathos, I can't remember which one is, is the, the, um, the, um, the way that you present it, you know, you have to put it in the right words, the right context and in words that people can understand. If you're, 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 you're using a whole bunch of white collar words to a whole bunch of blue collar guys, it, it ain't going to land, you know? So, and it was that, that, you know, it took that 15 years arguments of my dad and I, and sitting in that class going, Oh shit, this is what my dad was trying to tell me. You know, like it does matter, like how we present ourselves, how we are listening and engaging with the people that are listening to us and how we care about it and put it together, you know. And again, my dad was trying to get that at, at you know, a volume of here and did a lot of finger wagging. And uh, he was right. You know, <laughs> he ended up being right. And it's been such a great uh, reminder in my life of how to communicate and engage, gauge with other people. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause I, uh, I had the same issues before because I would tell Patho them something. pathos, egos and logos. J JJ just put it in the chat. So, okay, there we go. <laughs> um, you know, but I also want to ask you too, Richard, you were talking about, you know, uh, these different, um, blended co-parenting dynamics that you have. And you said that, you know, your relationship's pretty good with your ex. Now I, I wonder like, how do you, how did you guys get there? Or, you know, how does communication look like now with, with managing the kids and, and uh, coming together with that kind of cause? Uh, to be honest, the communications we have now, we don't really have to have communications right now. Uh, Cause all of our kids that we had together are 18 or older. They're off doing their own things. Uh, we do have guardianship of one of one of our grandkids, and she felt like she needed to. Uh, uh, she was with her mom for a while with my daughter, and then my ex thought, you know, she wasn't doing the right things by her, so she ended up picking her up and taking her to her house. So I'll go get her, you know, every so often, every other weekend, when we can. But that's pretty much the extent of our communications now. Um, but we got to the point. When we decided to split up, it was supposed to be civil. Everything was fine. We were, we, we'd conversate when we needed to about kids. And then the minute I got with somebody else, everything changed. You know, it, arguments started again. Hateful things were said. And it just got to the point where I was like, you know what? Just forget it. You know, whatever. The kids stayed with me. They didn't want to go with her. They wanted to stay with me. So they stayed with me. And then the kids didn't, a lot of the kids didn't have conversations with her at all. A couple of them don't even talk to her anymore at all. Uh, but she's still got four out of six that'll talk to her and visit with her. And they have their own conversations. And I don't talk bad about her to any of the kids at all. They'll call me, you know, with their problems with her. And I'll be like, well, what do you want to do about it? You know, I try not to give them an opinion because it feels, it's just, it's the same with, 
you know, my wife's kids and, and their biological dad, I try not to give them my opinions on him because I don't want to influence their relationship. That's their relationship that they need to grow or let go on their own. You know, I don't want to feel like I'm influencing them to not want to see their dad or not want to spend time with their dad. It's the same with my kids and my ex. I don't want to, I don't want to feel like I'm putting something on them that they don't want Mm. because later on in life, they may come to me and be like, Oh, Hey, you know, well, you said this about mom and that made me feel this way. And, you know, I found out this is the way it really is. And, you know, so now they're, you know, that affects my relationship because with my wife's oldest, they, uh, in her relationship, like I said, was just about 20 years as well. They had split up a few times, just like me and my ex did. And during those times, her ex would talk bad about her to the kids and say these mean and hateful things and everything to the kids. And so they felt like their mom was doing this. And it wasn't until recently, actually, within the last year or two, the oldest one went to her mom and she's like, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't realize that things were like this and understanding, you know, that I was being told things that weren't true and, you know, I was being manipulated and, you know, that now that has an effect on her relationship with her dad. So, you know, luckily, like I said, luckily for me, I don't have to have a lot of conversations with my ex because all of our kids are grown. I just conversate once in a while when it comes to my grandkid. You know, she was starting school down there. She's like, hey, do you want to help? Yeah, sure. I'll go spend a couple hundred dollars on school supplies and send it to her and, you know, birthdays, stuff like that. Take care of what I got to take care of and just try to be as civil as possible. Yeah, I think I needed to hear that because I've one of the reasons JJ and I started this podcast is I really wanted to learn how to create the perfect co-parenting existence, right? Like with the kid's bio dad. You know, and um, I, I don't talk about him much on the show because I, I don't want to insert my opinions, you know, too much about it or, or interject too much about their relationship on the show. But, you know, it's been a difficult journey to get us to, like, cooperate, you know, or communicate in a way that I would feel is, like, beneficial to, you know, the kids or the whole family unit. And I don't know if we'll ever get there, you know, honestly, it. There may be just, you know, too much past there or, or you know, uh, too much of just life in the way uh, to ever create the, the perfect co-parenting dynamic. And I don't think that that has to be our job as as parents, as dads, as adults for the kids. You know, I think that all we have to do is just show up and support them for their feelings in it, you know, Um and, you know, I never want to talk bad about their dad in front of them or, or in general, or, you know, he's, he's a part of their life. And regardless of my positive or negative feelings about him or his relationship with his kids, you know, um, I have to build him up in a way that, you know, um, allows them to, to see the good too, you know, because I know mm-hmm. that I, I created a lot of negative narratives for myself as a kid that as I get older, weren't necessarily not true, but they weren't as, they weren't as true as I made them out to be when I was a kid, you know? 
when I, w- when I was uh, a kid and living with my mom until about 10 years old, it was just me and my mom. And I would go visit my dad's like maybe every other weekend and on the summers. And, but I always had this fear of like, why doesn't my dad want to be in part of my life? You know, like, why isn't he here living next to me? Why isn't, you know, he closer? Cause he was in Arizona. We were in California. So it was like a good three hour drive to get me there and wasn't that often. And, you know, and when I talk to my dad now, you know, my dad says, you know, I, you know, we had you one week on, one week off, and then I went to every weekend. And, you know, I was, huh, man, that's not how I quite remembered it. And I created this narrative for myself of, you know, that he wasn't around as much or when he was, he was too loud or, or aggressive, you know. And um, I just want to give my kids the opportunity to be able to see the good because it's so easy to see the trauma and the bad in, in our experiences, right? Because it affects us so much more and we feel damaged and hurt and traumatized by those things. So it just sticks with us and we recover from it longer where the good things are like, well, that was great. What's the next good thing, you know, and we just want more of it, you know? And so I just, uh, I feel like it's an important dynamic to just, hear them create the space and still show them the good moments and and let them come to the decision, you know, rather than trying to maybe force something that may be damaging or that isn't there, you know? Well, let me ask you guys a question then on that, because it is a very sensitive and challenging topic. Um, Let's say giving them space, they do decide to share with you something that they're very maybe disappointed in about, the other parent, or they just, you know, they just need to vent about the other parent. What does validation of those feelings look like in those moments for you toward them? Well, for me, when it comes to the the girls, they they have their own thoughts and opinions on their dad. You know, one minute he's terrible. The next he's fantastic, but they have issues with the way they were raised and they'll all agree and tell you the same thing. He's a narcissist and he's the type of person who he would drive 10 minutes to get to a game. And then when the game's over, his daughter is sitting with a friend who happens to be sitting close to, uh, you know, me and my wife while, you know, another kid's playing a game right afterwards and talking to her friend and everything else. And then go talk to her dad for a few minutes before she leaves. And his comment is, you know, I drove down here to sit and watch this shitty game, you know, for you to just sit over there with your mom kind of thing. You know, he, he was always manipulative. Now the thing is, is the girls understand that they know the type of person he is not from us telling them, just from them growing up and seeing it eventually. But when they come home from their dads, because we have them a week on, a week off with their dad. And uh, when they come back to our house and, you know, they start complaining about how things are, what things are, basically the only thing we do is acknowledge it. You know, we validate that we understand, you know, what it must be like for them. And, uh, and we don't really try to offer suggestions, you know, because if we do, we it's it's our opinions being pushed onto them. And we don't want them to think that we're trying to manipulate them like they're being manipulated by somebody else. 
So for us, it's just acknowledge what they're going through, tell them we understand it. You know, we know that it sucks. And because uh, like the 17 year old, she's said it multiple times. I'm almost 18. I can't wait until I turn 18 so I don't have to go back over to his house. So, you know, and then the 14 year old, she's still got quite a few years. And, you know, she's matured a lot over the last few years, but she's still got that that immature child naivety, you know, where she's naive to certain things. And uh, so she'll see things one way and then interpret them a different way. That makes sense. So she'll see and understand this is what it is. But then she starts thinking about it and be like, well, maybe it's this way instead. And then she chooses to believe the way she thinks versus what she knows. And that's just from years of being raised the way she was by him. So the older two have grown out of that. So they don't have that much of an issue with it. I mean, but regardless, it's still their dad. They're always going to love him, which is understandable, you know, and I don't ever want them to feel like they have to choose between their biological dad or me ever. So as long as they're with me, I'm going to make sure they have what they need. I'm going to be there for them. I'm going to support them and make sure that they understand that, that at least there's someone, at least one person there that's always going to be there for them no matter what. So earlier you mentioned, Richard, that, uh, you know, uh, it's not uncommon for um, women to uh, find somebody who's like their dad, and that could set them up for a challenging, difficult time in their relationship, uh, their romantic partners going forward. How does one show up for them when they know that they're experiencing this toxic parent? How do we how do we help encourage them so that this mistake or this failed relationship isn't repeated? Well, we actually just kind of went through that. Um, the seventeen year old just you know ended a relationship with a boy that she'd been dating for a while, and me and her mom had, had conversations, and even her uh, her older sister said the same thing. Well, Dad actually really liked him, you know. Because they're the same person. They're identical. Now, luckily, the oldest one there, she's with someone. She's been with him for like five years now. They were preteens when they got together. And now one's a senior in high school and the other one's in college. And uh, they have a really good relationship. And he's one of the nicest kids you'll ever meet. He's he's a good he's just a good kid. I think he keeps growing up the way he's going to grow. He's going to be a pretty good man. And uh, I think they'll do well together. Which I don't know if... Somehow that happened where she decided to find someone the exact opposite of her dad. I don't know how that worked, but it worked out. Hopefully he continues to follow the path he's going down. And uh, But for the middle kid, with her relationship with him, it was the exact same way. They were, you know, they were talking, they'd be great. And then all of a sudden, you know, in private, it's a different relationship than it is in public around everybody else, which is the way the relationship is with their dad. In public no one would ever know that they have the issues they have in private. It's a totally different story. But for me, I show up and love their mother the way that I want them to learn is the right way. Like I said, with my mom before, I never really understood what it was like to be, you know, to have a good mom in the house until I got with Jennifer 
and I've seen the way her mom is and I see the way she is and I see the way her sister is with her kids. Um, that's when I realized what a good mom really is. And I want the girls to see me love their mother. And they tell us all the time because, you know, we kiss in the kitchen while we're cooking, while we're cleaning. We sit next to each other. We hold hands. If I'm not making them uncomfortable at least once a day, I'm not doing my job right. You know, I want them to see how a woman's supposed to be loved. You know, they've seen what I consider the wrong way for years with their their biological dad and their mom. I want them to see what it's supposed to look like now. Can I change their perception on what a good relationship looks like before they get into a toxic one? I don't know. All I can do is my best to love their mom the proper way. So hopefully they pick up on that and see, okay, well, I want someone to love me the way, you know, Richie loves my mom. That's what I want them to grow up knowing. If you want to see it, be it. You know, the best lessons are caught, not taught. So, yeah, I think you're right on there, brother, that, you know, the best way to teach our, our kids, uh, you know, how to deal with maybe some of the examples of trauma that they've seen in the past is is to step up and, and show them a different way. You know, especially as a, a step a parent, you know, the words don't seem to go as far as the actions, you know. So you really got to uh, live up to to what you're saying on the soapbox there. So, yeah, I can appreciate that, brother. But, hey, man, thanks for joining us. This has been a great talk. Uh, what, what a great story and what a great perspective, brother. This is uh, wonderful and really appreciate your time. Uh, glad to do it. Yeah, and I feel like we we could talk for forever. You've got family, bonus family, extended family. We just scratched the surface today, so thank you for giving us the surface scratch, man. Yeah, that was my pleasure. Yeah, I got my uh, sicky. We got uh, our middle child is homesick today, so she keeps peeking her head in with this like really pathetic look, like Coley, help me. So. We should probably uh, end this, but uh, I do appreciate your time, brother, and I appreciate our listeners. If you guys are tuning in, um, hope you guys got something out of today. I, I know I did. So uh, until next time, I'm your host, CJ. I'm JJ. And this has been the ADH Dads. Thank you, Richard. We'll see you next time. <laughs>